This episode of Playback is brought to you by Bleecker Street. As we start talking about awards contenders, Captain Fantastic comes to mind. Critics everywhere couldn't stop raving about Viggo Mortensen's performance. Variety chief film critic Peter DeBruge even said this was the role Viggo may have been born to play. Writer-director Matt Ross created Vigo's role based on his personal experience as a parent. The Philadelphia Inquirer called it a rare movie that asks such big questions about parenting, about family, about modern-day America, and comes up with answers that are moving and meaningful. If you didn't see it this summer, make sure you watch Captain Fantastic, now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we take a look at Denzel Washington's Fences, which finally screened last weekend and became an instant Oscar player. We also look ahead to the upcoming Academy Governors Awards. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Nocturnal Animals star Jake Gyllenhaal. So stick around. Hello, everyone. I'm here with uh, a new guest this week. I'm with Variety Senior Vice President Tim Gray. He literally wrote the book about Variety. Tim, thanks for coming on. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of things, but uh, first of all, last week, or over the weekend, we all saw Fences, and I kind of wanted to, seems like we should talk about that. I was blown away. I'm curious what you thought. Uh, I I really liked it, too, but you could just feel the, the, the positive energy in that room. Because yeah. I think people had known the play, mm-hmm. and, and some people had seen the production, which, which starred uh, also Denzel Washington and, mm-hmm. and Viola Davis. So anticipation was pretty high. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, you, you, things can go wrong. But it, I felt like, look, this lived up to the hype and actually, and maybe even surpassed a little bit. Because it's, it is hard to transfer uh, plays to, to screen yeah. and not make them look like a, a, a play and and uh, for me it, it worked and the audience was just going nuts they were right along the the rhythm of the movie you know and uh, laughing in the right spots and the thing is it's interesting yeah it's difficult to translate a, a play because sometimes it it's not quite cinematic and this still it's clearly a play in mm-hmm. the handling and but the, it, it wasn't any lesser for that I thought uh, I think that just the personalities of the actors and the, their performances just explode I thought Denzel it's like maybe his best performance ever yeah and I feel like he's a strong contender to win the Oscar for best actor which would be his third Oscar and there's only like six people that have done that actors and that would be quite a moment I think and obviously Viola Davis Everyone seems to agree that that race is over now. I mean, yeah, they nearly I mean, blew the roof off the place the other night, you know? Yeah, I mean, I always think, you know, it, it's uh, you can't tell this early in the race because things change and, and tastes change. But, uh, you know, I, and I never bet on the Oscars. I mean, I'm right. just too cheap. But I'm thinking if I did bet <laughs> at this point, uh, yeah, I, 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 would, I would certainly bet on her. Yeah. And with him, I mean, he has the... 
the double bonus and and fragility of being both the writer and the director because a lot of times the star and the director yeah yeah sorry sorry yeah yeah, they are the star and the director and sometimes uh you know hollywood is a little uh sometimes they love actors who direct and sometimes yeah. they get a little suspicious of them yeah so uh so we'll see but i think i think he did an amazing job in both capacities did you see his the broadway version of this no with this cast yeah i didn't either i had never seen the play at all to begin with so uh i mean i'd read it yeah but to see it just performed like that uh it landed for me so i i thought it was i i literally could watch it again right after it was over i thought it was that delicious yeah so uh probably gonna do well and then before we get into some other stuff uh i have tim on this week we want to talk about the uh governor's awards which are this weekend but before we get to that i'm just curious if you have any general thoughts about the race so far this year and the movies that have been screening like anything coming to mind I just I, I think it's it's an interesting year. I talked to somebody the other night at the screening who said, "Oh my God, I, they're going to have a hard time coming up with ten good movies." Mm-hmm. I said, "I totally disagree. I think I think there's a lot of good movies out there, a lot of really good performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, you've written about the actress race, how how, um, how jam packed that is, mm-hmm. but I also think the actor race is, is, is there's great work there, um, and and Den- Denzel Washington, but there's also um, Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck, outstanding. There's, a, I wrote about that race recently. It's to me, it's a thin year for Best Actor, just in the terms of a traditional year for Best Actor. But there are places to look for performances. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there's great stuff. I just had Vigo Mortensen in here earlier this afternoon, uh, talking about Captain Fantastic. Uh, there's interesting indie work earlier in the year. I think like Don Cheadle and in uh, uh, Miles Ahead and mm. Ethan Hawke and Born to Be Blue. I love those two performances. So if people are willing to look, yeah, there's good stuff out there. Yeah, no, and and, and Captain Fantastic. I mean, you know, I've, I've written a column saying that Viggo Mortensen. Uh, he's been he's been around for a long time. I mean, he made his film debut in the '80s, but he's getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the best work he's done, mm-hmm. and. I think it's great, and and you know, like Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge, mm-hmm. you know, he really uh, knocked me out. Jake Gyllenhaal in uh, Nocturnal, uh, Nocturnal Animals. Animals. Yeah. I mean, so th- there is a lot of good work, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I for me, the big concern is it's it's so bottom heavy this year. Is like, yeah. what what are uh, voters going to have a chance to see? That's always a problem, and it doesn't help with all of these other organizations moving their dates earlier and earlier yeah. because it just narrows the field all the more. It kind of thins the herd you yeah. know uh before it's time in some ways and that's a shame but uh yeah it's any, any specific favorite movie so far this year no the, tim's I mean, old school so he doesn't like to like editorialize too much no i don't <laughs> partly because i haven't i haven't seen movies i've seen literally 45 seconds of silence uh tell me about that because i didn't go to that event what did that look like I, I mean it was great it was it was just you know flash of an image here then an image there you know it's like a, a, a japanese harbor um mm-hmm. andrew garfield walking uh, <laughs> uh you know so you couldn't tell but it, it looked like a, a scorsese film i mean very visual and stuff yeah and I think, look, it, it's, it's, it could knock me out, it, but it's at least going to be really interesting. Yeah. But I also think that there's, uh, 
you know, there's there's a lot of it's just a lot of really good films, a lot of emotional movies. I mean, mm-hmm. real you know, Fences, mm-hmm. Tearjerker, Lion, uh, mm-hmm. another Tearjerker. Lion had me in tears for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, um, and I kind of think in an election year, you know, I kind of think we're, the audience is going to go for that. It's uh, that's I've been thinking the same thing. La La Land is is very emotional in its way too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Like how are people going to respond at the end of a year that has been full of so much hate? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? How it's always interesting to to look at. I wrote about that recently. Just how uh, an election year, specifically, just because it's so much in our face throughout the year, how that is reflected ultimately or not mm-hmm. in the choices of what's considered the great art of the year or what have you. No, the, so. no that's why I, that's why I kind of like awards because they're like mm-hmm. little time capsules. Because mm-hmm. I, I do believe, and I, I don't know if this is true, but a, but a movie like The Departed. Or No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. which are terrific films and they won Best Picture. But I'm thinking, boy, if they were this year, I'm not sure they'd win. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I've been upset every day of, of 2016. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I can't stand any more anxiety or, or, or tension. Yeah. So it's something like La La Land is like exactly what uh, what, what I would need. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, we'll see. A lot can happen between now and February when the final ballots go out. Yeah. I've been upset or frustrated virtually every day this year, too, and it's weird that I've had a kid this year. So it's like, it's been offset by that, you know, anytime I look at him, yeah. you know, your emotions change, but it's a, it's been a weird year to have a kid in, and I'm sure he'll look back on it and be like, wow, you guys were insane. Yeah, yeah, well, and he will be right. <laughs> Let's talk about the Governor's Awards. That's this weekend. The uh, Academy gives out honorary Oscars to a number of people and seem to be taking their cues from the Los Angeles Film Critics Association on some of these. Ann V. Coates, for instance, editor, legend. She received a Career Achievement Award from the L.A. Critics last year. Yeah. Frederick Weissman, I think, got an an honor from them recently. Documentarian, also one of the uh, people to be honored. Uh, Casting director Lynn Stallmaster. Say that right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, Jackie Chan, <laughs> mixing things up. What did you think about this list? I mean, I think, I mean, first off, congratulations to all of them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they all deserve it because they've done amazing work. In some ways, I think Jackie Chan is like the perfect recipient for this. Because a lot of people's eyebrows are raised. And it's like, Jackie Chan? Because when, when you see his movies, you don't think of an Oscar performance. But mm-hmm. I think that's why he should get a Governor's Award. Because, you know, the kind of roles he plays, he... You know, it's not likely he's going to get nominated for Best Actor, but he's a real movie star. He's he's entertained people An international for decades. Star. Yeah. yeah, huge international star. Yeah, um, and I mean, the Academy said they're they're getting a, an amazing amount of uh, press requests from around the world. Oh, people yeah. who want to cover the the Governor's Awards, the red carpet. You know, because they kind of try to keep it toned down. They try to keep it uh, not too much of a circus. So right. the red carpet for the Governor's Awards is not is not near what it is for the Oscars uh-huh. but Jackie Chan is uh, I mean he's he's helped the industry he's helped movie audiences so it's like yeah, yeah give him a pat on the back yeah and also I'm happy for Lynn Stalmuster the mm-hmm. um, casting director because I, I feel like even a lot of people in the industry don't understand ex- what casting directors do. You yeah. know? And, and it's such an important job, and it's so crucial yeah. to films, and they don't have an Oscar for that. So it's like this is the first like real recognition that, 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 that uh, casting directors are getting after they, they formed the branch a few years ago. Yeah, it's like Hal Needham getting his uh, honorary yeah. Oscar yeah. a few years ago. A, a nice uh, tip of the hat to stunt people who have been wanting their own category yeah. for a long time as yeah. well. 
Uh, Ann Coates actually edited, I think, the first movie I saw in the theater, which was not Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Masters of the Universe, <laughs> the He-Man movie from 1987. <laughs> but uh, obviously she's a legend and uh, well-deserving of something like this. Uh, her credits speak for themselves. You know? Well, I mean, she's, you know, and, and again, with all the talk about uh, diversity and, and women in the entertainment industry, I mean, she, I think she started editing in the 50s. Yeah. And she edited uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Uh, Still so you, going. So, so, I mean, I mean, that's a long career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I you know, no disrespect to Masters of the Universe. Uh, I think uh, Lawrence of Arabia is probably her main claim to fame. Yeah, but she's she's worked on a lot of a lot of great films. Yeah. so she's a good choice. And Frederick Weisman, I looked. Uh, I don't even think he's ever been nominated. No, it's crazy. But, but in the documentary world, I mean, documentary makers uh, revere him. So, uh, so I think I think these are good choices. Yeah. What do you think about that event every year? What do you think about how it's turned into essentially? an Oscar campaign moment. I mean, it's it's interesting that the Academy prefers campaigning not to be such a big thing, mm-hmm. and yet they provide, in the middle of the season, the single greatest opportunity to glad hand with Academy members. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's really interesting because I remember the first Governor's Award, people kind of didn't know what to think of it. Mm-hmm. And, and some people were ambivalent about the idea of taking these off the televised show. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Academy said, and I can see the logic, they said, look, we can honor people more because, because of time limits. They could do maybe two uh, honorary awards a year. Mm-hmm. And, and each honoree was given like 45 seconds to sum up their career. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, this is a good idea. But uh, yeah, it's like the, the tail is wagging the dog here. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, it's by I think the second or third year, all the strategists realize, wow, there's a lot of Academy voters in one room at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's just weird how it's like, you know, I, I talk to publicists who act like they're the only ones that say, um, I have my uh, client coming into town. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, on, on no, November 10th, as if it's just kind of a yeah. coincidence that, yeah. that he's coming into town. As if we don't have a million of those messages in our inbox. No, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like everybody comes into town, and so everybody tags on to it, and they, they set up events. And, I mean, sometimes there's, there's three, four events the same evening at the, at the same time, yeah. and it, it just becomes a little bit... Uh, a little bit excessive. And there's nothing preventing the Academy from doing this show in July yeah. or June. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be in the middle of the season. So I hope they understand that they literally are providing this opportunity. And, you know, everyone else is kind of jumping onto the to the to the coattails, really. I mean, this is the weekend of the Hollywood Film Awards. And, uh, you know, the Hamilton Behind the Scenes Awards and all this kind of stuff, Behind the Camera Awards. They all... All these different little things that happen in this stretch, specifically for that reason. All yeah. the talents here, yeah. but all the talents here largely because of the governor's awards. Yeah. So, yeah, tail wagging the dog, like you say. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're right. I mean, they they could schedule it another time of mm-hmm. year. Also, I mean, you know, I, I I do like the idea that they that they um they kind of broke it off into it, its own event. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, the, and the fact that it was not televised, it's just a whole different vibe because people, uh, you know, everybody knows who's going to win, mm-hmm. so nobody's nervous about giving the, giving the speech. So in, in theory, the vibe is good, but... but the, and it's well publicized. Like, you can see the stuff on YouTube after the fact. Yeah. Like, they, they have the video out there. So uh, I don't think it really robs people of a moment, per se. No. Um, but, yeah, 
as it pertains to campaigning. I wouldn't mind going to an Academy event in June. I would go. Yeah. Just maybe think about that. That's all I'm saying to the yeah. Academy brass. Yeah. Well, I, I hope they're listening. I hope they're taking notes. <laughs> yeah, right. Now that you're on the show, I'm sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's uh, the Governor's Awards this weekend. Uh, you mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal a moment ago for Nocturnal Animals. He's uh, I'm interviewing Jake on the show this week. So stick around for that, and I'll be right back after this. Once again, this episode of Playback is brought to you by Bleecker Street. Another movie from earlier this year that stands out as an awards contender is Eye in the Sky. The New York Times called it a riveting thriller. Entertainment Weekly said it's a tense and timely drama. The LA Times proclaimed it superbly acted, a taut nail-biter, thoughtful and piercing. And Rolling Stone raved Helen Mirren is dynamite. Alan Rickman, in his last on-screen role, takes on the issues with brilliance and bracing humanity. Discover more about Eye in the Sky at BleakerStreetGuilds.com. Edward? Hi! I'm Susan! Hi! Good to see you! <laughs> you look beautiful, as always. Do you know that you were my first crush? You were my first crush, too. Don't do this. He's too weak for you. The things you love about him now are the things you'll hate. I really wanted to be this person that you thought I was. When you love someone, you have to be careful with it. You might never get it again. My ex-husband used to call me a nocturnal animal. I didn't know you had an ex-husband. Did you love him? I did something horrible to him. I left him in a brutal way. What are we going to do? It's a question of how serious you are about seeing justice done. Nobody gets away with what you did. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake is in Tom Ford's new film, Nocturnal Animals, which opens November 23rd. Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. Uh, A couple years ago, you and I were backstage at your play in New York, and we were talking about a number of the filmmakers you've worked with, uh, a lot of legends, Ang Lee, Sam Mendes, Fincher, Jim Sheridan, and uh, now you've crossed Tom Ford off the list, who is, you know, completely different kind of guy in this world and uh i would love to hear about your experiences working with him but first rather than be vague about it i think my way into those filmmakers when we talked was uh you know what did you learn from each of them Mm -hmm. so let's start there what did you learn from tom ford working on this movie well i think i entered this process with him with my own judgment um of his person you know um, his persona that he's perpetuated through the years, um, you know, his emphasis on aesthetic and being a designer and being in fashion. And I think admittedly, I was judgmental of um, w- where his focus would be. I mean, he's made a beautiful film. I think beauty is a big part of the film. I think it's important to him. Mm-hmm. I think he can't shake that. <laughs> um, but. I think I was um, 
more than any other time in my career surprised that he someone who came from a world that I think um, really puts an emphasis on on, on vanity could um, blow that up and focus on what was true to him and be vulnerable and um, admit his insecurities, and particularly to me as an actor. You know, I was mm-hmm. very surprised about that. His love of human behavior and um, his love of actors in the process and um, his respect, his profound respect for uh, movie making and his knowledge and uh, about just film history and and more than anything and I guess this wasn't a surprise but, but I it was a similarity and it's not something I learned but I learned that there were people out there too who still had a very old school mentality which I appreciate and I think is important in the business today because mm-hmm. um, meaning meaning craft is being lost mm-hmm. meaning there's a respect for the space in front of the camera it's a sacred space mm-hmm. and that we all work to make sure that that space is kept sacred mm-hmm. that we don't disrespect that space and I, I think he he honors that he honors the history of film, the people who have passed through, the people who have given their lives and their hearts to the you know filmmaking process, and um, I think that we all feel that in his movies so far. Mm-hmm. You know, people come into the business from many different places, and they think they can sort of come in and conquer storytelling. <laughs> and I think that he doesn't have that feeling about him at all. I think he has this. He is in awe of the process, and with all the great people that I've ever worked with, I think um, that's a similarity that he shares with them. Interesting. You go to some dark places uh, on this one. Uh, I had a kid five months ago, so oh, whoa, wow! This movie kind of screwed with me, mm, <laughs> you yeah. know. But uh, no spoilers. But just given the tragedy, that, that congratulations, thank you, thank you, thank you. So far, so good. <laughs> the, the tragedy this character uh, encounters and regarding his family. Uh, I'm kind of. I don't want to just be so lame as what's your process, but like, how do you come at it when you need to go to a dark place? Because I always think of you know just classic versus method and like the old Olivier and Dustin Hoffman story. Why not just act? You know mm-hmm. that whole bit. But uh, how do you get to those places? Is it does it differ from filmmaker to filmmaker? Maybe or is there something? It does yeah. differ from project to project, from filmmaker to filmmaker. I think I've been interested in testing my own craft and what it is and my own process. And these past few years have been about exploring all different aspects of acting, uh, different opinions about it, different techniques, and seeing what works for me mm-hmm. and seeing what one role calls for, trying the same thing with another, seeing if it is, you know, gives me anything, helps me succeed in creating the character or not. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm. I also spend a good deal of time on the stage, and on the stage, you you can't really get away with the same things you can get away with in movies. And so, I've learned about craft from there too. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about confidence and choices. So, to me, it starts with your belief in the material, and then I think um, it extends to your director's belief in you. I think you could say your belief in your director, but you've already decided that when you've chosen a piece of material, if you've been so lucky to choose, be able to choose. Mm-hmm. But it's really your director's belief in you. And then from there, um, 
you know, these, these types of stories, I think there's so much to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, in the darkness, you have to... Everyone asks me that often. Like, why do you mine such dark places? And are you fascinated with that? Why don't people constantly as a mantra you should do a rom-com or a musical <laughs> comedy and i and i and i think sometimes those are darker to me than yeah you know dark material mm-hmm. um and they and, can they can go check out love and other drugs if they'd like to right if they want <laughs> but i also think bringing you have to bring your light mm-hmm. when you go into the dark mm-hmm. whatever light you have you have to bring that the contrast is where it's at i guess right yeah as a viewer how you experience that yeah Interesting. In process, to me, it's all about preparation. I, I, I find your instinct leads you to the right piece of material. You have to listen to it. And then it's all about preparation. Mm-hmm. And it's all about hard work. And I don't believe there's anything. You bring your foundations of your own talent, whatever that might be. And then you bring... You put in your time and you put in the hard work and um, and something will come of it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that, you can be much more forgiving with yourself. Yeah. Uh, a passing kind of curiosity I had on this movie, there, there's like a, a film within a film motif going on. Uh, and I was actually just curious. I mean, you're, you're not in the Amy Adams portion a lot, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, was there anything Tom did that he wanted to distinguish these two narratives that, that he spoke to you about what, what can you say to that well visually yes I mean um, there are so many reprises visually throughout the movie you mm-hmm. know that connect reality with fiction mm-hmm. or I don't even know if you can say that about a fictional the movie, fiction within but, the movie <laughs> yeah the yeah. fiction within the movie um, all the time it was all about the connections of all those things mm-hmm. and the references you know the red lights and then the green car and the brown car and then you know, he, that was one of the first conversations I had with him, was him communicating to me how these worlds connected. Mm-hmm. How when he cast Isla um, to be essentially kind of a doppelganger to Amy, and then when he cast Ali Bamber to play my daughter, and they're all redheads, mm-hmm. and then when he cast her daughter to look like she's lying in bed in the same way that those two bodies you find. Right, you know there there are so many connections all the time that are happening there with him, and um, so and then it was less so. about distinguishing than subliminally drawing connections that that the viewer would kind of my the onto. way my characters look are are sort of distinguished time periods, sort of mm-hmm. like the only thing we yeah. look younger at certain times, but you know there was a tons of continuity paid to my beard i mean i have <laughs> over two movies i've never seen a schedule literally literally dictated by the length of my facial hair two films <laughs> that i've worked on and i've just seen the absurdity of of what is and the the magic but the absolute absurdity of filmmaking in that <laughs> yeah. you know like when i finally shave you have 14 crew members around you just making sure that they double check the schedule that we've you know the dailies have been clear 
beard from the day before to make sure it's okay to finally shave, you know? Such a bizarre business. It really is. It really, really is. I've only one other experience I've had where I've seen the absurdity. Well, I see the absurdity all the time, but on one movie where windshield wipers didn't work at the beginning of a night shoot on a car that we were shooting in the entire movie through the front windshield of a car and they just stopped working. And I've never seen a crew of 150 people just stopped dead because (laughs) they couldn't figure out one windshield wiper for four hours and it was just that's the absurdity and the wonder of making movies you know (laughs) absolutely you spend a lot of your time in this movie uh working with one of my favorite people in the world mike shannon Mm -hmm. uh how did you like working with mike well i've known mike for years Mm -hmm. you know we first worked together uh first met at the sundance lab when Mm -hmm. we were both really young i was about to go do this movie donnie darko with richard kelly Mm -hmm. right literally a month before, uh, after our, the Sundance Lab when I met Mike and I was like Mike will you be in this movie you're so good because he was so <laughs> incredible in the lab and the, the work he was doing there um, so I've known him for years and we've we've flirted a few times working together and I've, he's always been on you know a bucket list of mine to be able to work with him and so it was a joy to be able to to be able to be across from him in different scenes and I mean we approach things in a pretty similar way you know he's very he is prepared. He is serious. Um, he is focused in between takes. Um, but it's all out of a deep love, you know. And working with him in a scene, you know, a lot of people, I think, feel acting is feeling. Um, I think acting is truly about listening and very little else. I mean, mm-hmm. there is creation of character, but... When you're working with an actor who is so solid and beyond solid in what they're doing across from you, then um, they're they are handing you these sort of clues and little hors d'oeuvres and um, jewels and bits of oxygen and mm-hmm. you know and that's what Mike is doing all the time. Yet solid as a rock mm-hmm. and. Uh, and if you don't want to play, he's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's still doing it mm-hmm. with or without you. But I think he feels very similarly. I mean, I, I, I mean, some of my favorite moments in this movie, shooting this movie, were sitting across from Mike. In fact, there's a scene in the diner that we have together that, you know, we just... Sometimes diner scenes are my favorite, particularly just with two actors, because it's almost like, um, you know, it's just fundamental. Mm-hmm. You don't really have your body. It's pure. Yeah. Yeah. You're like we're sitting across from each other right now. Mm-hmm. There's that. You bring your character and you really have from your waist up and you have the exchange between two people sitting there. I've had many in my career, strangely, and every one of them I remember. You know, I remember That's interesting. Yeah. I remember sitting across from Chloe Sevigny and Zodiac, you know, in the <laughs> diner scene. And I'll never forget that. Or Mark Ruffalo and Zodiac um, in a diner scene and... But that's, I mean, but Michael tops it, you know. Um, he's, he's, uh, I, I, I love his work equally, if not more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> you got to play Ricky Roma and Glengarry. There's some diner scenes in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mike has, he's one of these guys that has just casual wisdom that'll just drop. Like, mm-hmm. and, and he's just, he's got such a funny disposition, too. I remember one time we were talking about Jeff Nichols and how he worked on his first film. And I was like, what was that like since you were kind of the veteran there and helping him out? And he was like, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I knew my way around a film set. 
I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny, like so dry. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. People are like, were you, were you, were you just nervous working with Michael? He's so intimidating. And I was like, what? <laughs> nah. <laughs> like, no. no, you don't. You know, even Tom is like, Tom Ford would be like, He's scary, you know. And I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> you know, you just gotta find his rhythm. That's yeah, all it is. exactly. Uh, I wanted to go back a bit and talk about another movie you were in this year, Jean-Marc Vallée's uh, Demolition, which is a movie I liked a lot. It opened at uh, Toronto last year mm-hmm. and then finally released in April. It didn't do well with critics or at the box office, unfortunately. But I just love the way he makes movies. I think he has an interesting uh, visual storytelling voice. How did you like working with Jean-Marc? Um, well, first I should say... Um None of that. One of the one things that's been really lovely about the way I look out at the world now, having done this for a while, is ultimately, you know, that is not what defines, you know, whether critics or whether it does well is not what defines something, you know, as a success. Mm-hmm. You know, Jean-Marc is... Jean-Marc is one of those people who is rare in that he 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 does what he believes in that he feels. And he doesn't move with what people tell him he should do, but what his heart does. And um, I adored working with him. And I think that's his longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, his longevity is not in the fact that in this in this business where everybody is so afraid of what their movie's going to make, um, and that people are going to abandon them if their movies don't do well or whatever. We do still live in a business of relationships. Mm-hmm. People with open hearts and people who are talented, regardless, continue to work and because they're rare somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, he is just the most loving, open-hearted, strong, very strong man and strong director. But um, his process was an inspiration. In fact, I would call, you know, I remember calling Dan Gilroy and... Um, I remember calling a few people and saying, you should come watch him work. It will inspire you. (laughs) It will free you from what you believe you should be doing Mm -hmm. because he just, he just moves. He'll, he'll come in for a close up and then he'll run back out for a wide shot in the next take. He'll come in for a two shot, come back for the close up, go back to the wide shot, flip around, you know, break the line, come back again. Mm -hmm. And before you even know it, because he started as an editor, you know, you have... He's just cut the scene together. Right he's there. cut the scene together, but at the same time as an actor, you are in a space moving with him and his instinct, but at the same time, he is moving with yours. Mm-hmm. And it's not about just deliver for a close-up. Right. It's about what is the energy of this story that's being told? How do I play wide? How do I play close? Can I play wide in one take, play close in another take? Mm-hmm. And so your technique changes as a result and sometimes I'll be in a close up in another director's film and I'll think I'm going to play this wide and this close up because of Jean-Marc <laughs> you know and so um, yeah joy is what mm-hmm. I would say in the process with him real joy and that trumps all with him mm-hmm. you know every every week the end of every week every department has to throw a party <laughs> you know that's awesome yeah he's and I remember my sister was performing somewhere one night and we were going to go over and I said, John Mark, I was hoping we weren't going to go over. I, my sister is performing and he said, let's rap, you know, and I have never <laughs> experienced that ever. I was like, I had just sort of passed it on to him and this notion of I was bummed that I wasn't going to make it. He was like, 
let's wrap. Life's more important. <laughs> and he had afforded himself that time because he finishes his days sometimes six hours, eight hours. I mean, wow. Yeah. Well, I can imagine that an actor would love that. Then. Well, for, for, I mean, everybody reasons. loves it. Yeah. Everybody loves it in a way. I mean, um, and, you know, then occasionally, I guess, you know, you get your overtime, but and, you know, on other days, but most of the time he's done, he's done early. And, and I think anybody, I mean, well, not necessarily anybody, but I think joy is, is um, lacking in the world as well as jobs. Sure. So I think, Sometimes when you toss one up for the other, you know, you get that overtime or you can have great joy in the process. And I think um, he he just gives you great joy. Yeah. So Everyone should check that out if you avoided it for any reason. Uh, I, I think Jake's amazing in it, so check it out. Thanks, man. Demolition. Uh, I also wanted to just look on the horizon a bit. You're about to work with a number of, again, interesting filmmakers. Uh Start with David Gordon Green, mm-hmm. Stronger. Mm-hmm. Now you're playing, this is the Boston Marathon bombing film. You're, you're playing the guy who helped them identify the Sarniavs, right? Is that? Yes, ish. Jeff was the one who, who yeah. helped identify, but it's really not connected to the bombing, this story. The story is obviously Jeff Bowman, who I play in the movie, lost his legs mm-hmm. in the Boston bombings. Um, he did identify one of the bombers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story is really about him and his girlfriend, Aaron, his now wife. They have a child together now and his family and their experience. So the bombing is really not part of the movie. It's mm-hmm. um, it's this, really the triumph of Jeff and his spirit, you know, and the love of the people who love us to get us through that. Yeah. And that's what the movie's about. So, um, so in a lot of ways, you know, the bombing itself which we experience all too often nowadays all over the world mm-hmm. um, because it becomes more resonant. It's not just one specific moment. It's what we're experiencing all the time. And then the triumph of love over pretty, pretty tremendous hatred. Yeah. Um, so that's what the movie is about, essentially. A lot of responsibility playing a real person. Yes, a lot of pressure, more pressure than I've ever felt yeah. in playing a real person and also knowing deep in my heart that he was a stronger human than I could ever be. Yeah. So um, I had to face a number of things in myself to realize, you know, and I think it also made me look at my own life and how much um, I don't I don't look at it in the right way. Yeah. Um, you know, I there was a moment that Jeff talks about in his testimony and after doing so much research on the movie, um, he was laying there right after the bombing and he said, uh, he said to himself, this is bad, you know, like, you know, he was in shock, but he was pretty, pretty cognizant, interestingly enough, you know, um, he can pretty much recount the whole situation. Mm. And um, they didn't put him out until he got to the hospital, which is, Wow. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Um, but he said he was thinking in his mind, you know, I've had a pretty good 20, 26, 27 years. Um, and if this is it, then that's okay. I've, I've had a really great time. Hmm. And that shows you about his character, mm-hmm. you know, that he could say to himself, like, it's been good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that attitude that has made him who he is today. This profound appreciation so i learned a lot from him and that's gonna be a special one how you like david i love him i mean david is a the um 
least toxic human being I've ever met in my <laughs> life. He somehow dispels all toxicity from a situation in any context. It's pretty amazing. And he is, he just loves the process of making movies. You know, it's like this, can, he's still a kid in a candy shop, you know? Yeah. It's, I think he still can't believe he's still making movies and that's inspiring as yeah. a, as someone who, um, made the movie alongside of him as a producer like my company produced that movie so and then also as an actor mm-hmm. both from both sides of the line I, I he's just a like a joy to work with as well uh wildlife paul mm-hmm. dano is making a movie mm-hmm. uh how did he convince you to, to join up <laughs> um did it take much convincing no i mean we talked about it for a while actually i Paul and I talked about that movie before he asked me to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, you know, he's a friend and, um, obviously I'm a huge fan of him as an actor. And, uh, when he said he was directing something, he was writing something, he was writing wildlife while we were doing prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent a lot of time writing when we were making that movie. And, um, and then he and Zoe came together and sort of did a few other drafts and got it to the place where, um, it is now. And, um, and Carrie Mulligan came on to the project and um, and then Paul and I were doing Okja and we were talking about it and you know I just said you know I have I have a company we're producing movies too and I know you're doing it if you need anything from us we're, we'd love to and he was like well I would love for you to maybe play this part and I was like okay I'm in <laughs> you know um, and so Reva Marker who's my producing partner came in to help produce as well and it just became this thing and it's a beautiful script that he wrote and we started production today mm-hmm. um we started in montana and we moved to oklahoma next week and uh i will join him up on friday and after i'm done with press for this and <laughs> that's that awesome man those two movies you're producing that one as well and so those two in the division you're producing as so mm-hmm. more producing lately uh yeah how do you like that I um I love the perpetual failure of producing. It's a <laughs> it's a joy. Um it really is a joy. I mean I have an incredible producing partner in Reva Marker who produced um Beast of No Nation last mm-hmm. year and she's produced a lot of films. She's a really extraordinary producer. The company also is financed by Bold who yeah. did Nightcrawler and we did Nightcrawler together. So there are a lot of really, really well intentioned people in the process and the company's great. It's growing, man. We have a lot of in this one year, you know, two movies in production, we've acquired, acquired a ton of material. We're doing um, this book called The Sun that Denis Villeneuve's going to direct, and um, we have a number of other projects. So, um, you know, I think to me, we started the company because I want to take whatever opportunities I have and. Um, I see because I see my parents in this business and I've grown up with them in this business and then I see how my sister and I have come up as a a second generation in this business and I see that it's an ageist business and that I see that success and failure is a is a difficult thing Uh, there's a lot of judgment and it's tough you know it's cutthroat in a lot of ways and but I see that um somehow people with great wisdom in this business are dismissed at a certain place for some reason and mm-hmm. they could provide new filmmakers mm-hmm. with so much um, knowledge mm-hmm. and the idea of the company was to bring sort of the old guard and new guard together mm-hmm. um, and to respect our elders and that's what Reva and I believe and that's what we're trying to do with the movies that we make awesome uh, 
And you mentioned Okja there, so I just thought I'd touch on that as well. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho, I mean, the host and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Snowpiercer. Mother and Snowpiercer, yeah. Another interesting filmmaker. This this yeah. is what I think is great. You just, as you've kind of reestablished yourself in the last eight years as with a new kind of what I think seems like a new directive, you've picked a lot of very interesting filmmakers, and he obviously stands out as well. So how do you like working with him? All of these well, questions I mean, have been very kind of boring, like, how do you like this? But I didn't mean no, for that. No, no. <laughs> but, well, you know. The philosophy for me um, was move away from trying to work with people you hope will love you Mm-hmm. and move towards people who already do. Mm-hmm. And my life has changed as a result. My work has changed as a result. Um, the experience of making my work has changed as a result. And um, that started a really, it really started with David Ayer and it, it really then really began with Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. Um, and working with Bong is that same thing. Bong and I met after Donnie Darko Bong has wanted to work with me and I've wanted to work with Bong for over a decade. Wow. And um, it's taken us this long, taken too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is just uh, a joy. His sets, again, these all these people keep saying joy, but that's how I feel. Um, and he's also just a technical master. Um, his process is a whole other process we could talk about for hours because yeah. it's so different from Tom's. It's so different from... Jean-Marc, it couldn't be more opposite from Jean-Marc. Yeah. You know, um, I still have these half Korean, half English um, storyboard slash sides that have translations for the half of the Korean crew and half of the American <laughs> crew with these extraordinary pictures that Bong draws and redoes the night before. So you come to work with these pieces of art handed to you before you create this other piece of art wow yeah well, that helps you get there i'm sure yeah well look forward to all of that and uh everybody check out nocturnal animals that's november 23rd and as always thanks again man i really appreciate you coming on same same here thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to Captain Fantastic star Vigo Mortensen. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. This week's episode of Playback has been brought to you by Bleecker Street. Denial, starring Rachel Weiss and Timothy Spall, is for your consideration in all categories. USA Today calls Denial a siren call for truth. Rachel Weiss serves up a forceful presence. And the Boston Globe proclaims Timothy Spall's performance is a nuanced masterpiece. Discover more at BleakerStreetGuilds.com. Street Guilds.com.